Welcome to Practical Access. I'm Lisa Deeker. And I'm Rebecca Hines. And Lisa, our last episode, we were going to talk about a couple of questions and we ended up talking about bullying, a topic that we were both interested in. So I'm never really sure what we're going to get. And so listeners, let's see. Lisa, what are, what's today's topic? Well, so interesting. Uh, we'll start with this one. I, I, I'm going to make you go first because I, again, I have thoughts about how to answer it. And, and I think we were just talking about, you know, if you don't really like our answers, we apologize. Um, we're just giving you our best practical advice that we have at this moment. But it's how do you know when your child or your kid has learned something? Well, I'll tell you that it's interesting. That's something, you know, that I, I try to tell pre-service teachers that as teachers, you should be able to identify what you think a child has learned when they leave your room on any given day. Like, I don't understand why we don't really pare it down that simply sometimes. Like, what do you want them to be able to do when they leave? that day, not at the end of the unit, but that day, what do they know that they didn't know when they walked in? So I think parents, as parents, we, we ask our kids when they come home from school, hey, what'd you learn today? And what do they all say, Lisa? Uh, nothing. nothing. <laughs> or if they're nothing. a teenager. Uh. <laughs> yeah, you might not even get the full response. So I do think that, you know, part of that is on the teachers of, you know, what specifically, literally, if, if, if a student's asked that one day, what is the answer? Now, as a, as a um, when one of my nephews was young, he was in kindergarten, he came home and I asked him that question. I said, Graham, what did you learn today? And he said, oh, I learned about um, active listening and Native Americans. And I was like, wow, that kindergarten teacher really knocked it out of the park because he could name two specific yeah. things that he learned. And when I asked him questions about those two topics, he could actually answer them. Now, he's a really smart little guy, but, you know, just the fact that he could be so precise, I think, was, was, was really interesting. So as a, as a teacher we do have to make sure we're teaching with that specificity. We have to make sure that we are closing our lessons. Closing the lesson matters most because that's what you remember. So a hard close to any lesson that's being taught. That's the first thing I would say for teachers. So how do you know that they learned that? Well, we know all of the things like exit tickets, et cetera, but adding something to your closing that demonstrates that they learned or heard something, even if it's to give a, a question say stand up if you think you know this these are the seven original you know i don't even know what there's seven original at least i can't even formulate a good example but <laughs> stand up if you think this you know sit down if you think this okay some of you guys need to meet me over here let me tell you one more time here's the answer so i think we have to be that laser focused no matter what grade level it is we need to be that laser focused and if you're a parent on the other end of the what did you learn today I would say be laser focused in that as well. If kids say nothing, um, that's entree to saying, well, tell me one thing you remember. You know, the word learned, kids even become so, I, I don't know, um, just indoctrinated to the school system. They, they think learning is something super formal on a test too. So it's like, no, what, what's one thing that you remember? Because remembering is learning. And so getting kids to understand that and having very specific conversations, it all starts and ends to me with, with conversations that are casual so that we know that the student actually learned it and embedded it in a way that they can talk about it. 
Yeah, and I'm going to go with a, maybe a sports analogy or thinking about as parents, you know, anytime your child's involved in anything from riding a bike to walking to um, swimming, you know, if you start with a floaty, you really didn't learn to swim yet. You just learned that you can get in the water with a floaty, uh, but you learned something about water and you learned a little bit about buoyancy. And so, um, you know, I think that, that from my own personal experience, I tried to parallel my son's gymnastics ability with his academic abilities. They were truly a nine day comparison. You know, he was doing a cartwheel at three and downhill skiing at four and five, and he still couldn't spell his name or pronounce his name, but mastery comes when you do it by yourself. And I think as teachers and as parents, um, we tend to say a kid has learned something because they put it on a piece of paper once, or they showed it to us once and we were holding them while they did it. Well, yes, that's approximating swimming, but when we really swim, we do it without anybody there. When we really ride our bike, it's with. So I think learning to mastery is what our goal is for most things we want kids to learn. And to be thinking that at home and say, well, they have learned to get in the water with a floaty. Uh, but I'm still working on them learning without a floaty uh, because of that ultimate goal is swimming. And so I think those long-term goals are great. And then Becky, as you said, having that short-term goal, if my kid will at least sit on the bike and yet they don't want anything yet to do with riding a bike, you're in proximity of riding a bike. The same is true with writing a paragraph. Um, I think we often, you know, as teachers say, oh, the kid wrote a paragraph and they can write a paragraph now. I'm like, well, they wrote one, uh, but if they can only do it with you standing over them and somebody helping them. And so I think learning is mastery and it's independence. And too many times, I think we either stop short for kids with disabilities and we don't get them to mastery or mastery is not our goal. We'll just let them do it with an adult forever. Well, then that means forever, either A, we're paying for an adult be they're tethered to adults or see they're never independent. And, you know, I'll take one last example. We both have a very good friend who, you know, has a child with Down syndrome that they said, driver's license? What The answer is you can't get one if you don't try. How many people do we know that drive that we question? And sure enough, she has persevered and he now has his license. But it didn't start by he can't get a license. It's, is that a goal we'd like? Is that a goal he would like? And they made that a goal. And it maybe took a little bit longer, but that's when somebody's learned something when nobody needs to help them, in my opinion. I, I think that that focus on mastery really is is the key. And repetition. You know, if you look at the information processing model and, and how people learn, uh, repetition is the key to embedding information into your long-term memory. So a lot of us can hold on to something in our short-term memory long enough to pass a test. But as you're, to your point, unless it's there permanently, it's not necessarily useful. I need, you to, I need you to know this, not just today, but ongoing. And so if you think about those things that we have traditionally focused on in school that are mastery-driven reading, you know, you don't forget how to read. Once you know how to read, you don't forget how to read. And, you know, multiplication has been something that we, you know, historically have always focused on. But even in things like that, if we don't, if it's not um, done so often until it is fully embedded in your long-term memory, it's not useful. I use this example when I try to get my undergrads to, to learn how to assess and how to teach and, and what good teaching looks like. In, in history, for example, 
You can look at a third grade social studies book, fourth grade, fifth grade, and you're going to see the same things that you see then in, you know, middle school history, in high school history. The dates don't change. Those, those wars, those battles, they're all the same. In college, I, I, I got A's in, in those classes. But I could not, if, if my paycheck depended on me free recalling anything historical, I would be dirt poor because I don't know anything about history. And I took it at so many levels. So I never learned it. I remembered it long enough to pass tests and then I discarded it. So one, one practical thing for teachers, if you use PowerPoints or other kind of digital tools in your class, one thing in a face-to-face -face class that I used to do, and you could certainly do it in an online class as well. Every time I would use a PowerPoint, I'd pull out my two key slides that had the two core pieces of content information. And I built this cumulative PowerPoint presentation that I would run streaming in my class just on a loop so that every day when students were coming in, it was just flipping through the slides of all the things we've learned so far this year. And when there's that kind of movement, when, you know, that eye is drawn to that, that's a principle of advertising. So when that's looping, in the absence of nothing else to do, kids do accidentally look up there and see it. And it's just a reminder, here's what I've learned, here's what I've learned, here's what I've learned. So if you want to raise some achievement scores, if you want to help make sure that kids really are learning, um, repetition matters most. And it's not just doing it, but sometimes it's just being reminded, you know, here's what we've learned so far, here's what we've learned so far. And if you can almost take, you know, you take the teacher out of it where I'm not having to say that every day, but it's available and it's looping and it's running. And by the end of the year, they have a much better chance of knowing those types of things than they would if they just hit it one day in class, two days in class, took a test and then moved on. So I'm, I'm going to kind of wrap my thoughts up here is I think the other thing to know when somebody has learned something is when it's fun and engaging. You know, if you're picking up every history book every day to read because you just can't get enough, somehow that became something that was fun and engaging. And I think sometimes as parents or as teachers, we think because it's fun and engaging for us, it must be fun and engaging for our children or we aspire to our, for our students or our children to be fun and engaged in area blank. You know, oh, I, I remember making kites out of garbage bags. I think it was my worst experience as a teacher. Um, not only did was the design principles horrible, I was trying to teach, you know, airflow patterns and all of that, but I thought it was fun, but the kids didn't. Um, so not only did they not learn the lesson, I learned a lesson that I didn't want to learn that, that makes sure it's of something they're interested in. And I think for us as parents, we really do have to remember that we tend to get our kids over committed sometimes to different activities and when it stops being fun and engaging because what we do know about brain and learning is stress and anger are the least pathways so yelling at your kid to get on the bike and ride probably isn't as effective as saying we're all going on a bike ride you're welcome to walk beside us or if you'd like to go on the bike ride with us so again making it about wanting to do it motivation but fun and engagement versus get on the darn bike and you know I, I, I see that trust me I've been there as a parent um, yelling feels good sometimes but it probably doesn't produce very good learning so I think we know our kids have learned something when they initiate it because they're excited and they love to do it and you you mentioned the science of learning um, I think when people hear fun and engaging they some, some will automatically like dismiss that and that's 
counterintuitive because there is lots of research now that we know more about the brain that when your brain is flooded um, with with these types of experiences you you can encode that information differently you have more pleasant experiences and associations with it and it will be easier to recall because you're pulling from multiple parts of the brain so when you then you're you're encoding that information not only with the content, but also episodically. I remember this episode of feeling this way when I did this thing, and I am more likely to remember it. Well, thank you for joining us for this question on how do you know when someone learned something? And please send us more questions on Twitter at AccessProc.